0: Hey everyone! Welcome back to another edition of All Protein Weekly. I'm Sonali, your co-host, along with Steve Molino, who is joining me after a fun-filled week at the Good Food Conference. So, Steve, spill the alt protein beans. How was it last week?
1: <laughs> it was. It was good. It was. Uh, I think you called it the what was it, the alt protein prom. So it definitely <laughs> it felt like that. It was. It was like basically anyone and everyone who is within alt protein from investors to nonprofits, to startups, to regulatory bodies. It was, it was, it was cool. Um, I think the big, there were a few big takeaways for me, but I think for like the the ones that stood out are are one, and I'm really excited about this one is I kind of was nervous going in. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of nervous going in because I've been seeing data for however long that are showing that some things in certain verticals with an alt protein are not living up to what we expected them to be, right? Um, and I was nervous that we go to something run by GFI, who's a longstanding nonprofit and mission-driven. Um, I was worried that they would kind of be saying, no, 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 let's ignore that. We're just going to keep pushing forward what we, what we uh, have said we were going to do originally. And that wasn't the case. And I was very excited about that because it basically means that Everyone is really open to doing whatever it takes to, to make our food system more sustainable and caring for the planet. And uh, they're open to saying, okay, our initial hypotheses on some things, some are working, some weren't. And if they're not working, let's change it. So really, really happy to see that. Um, and then the other thing that is just like the most notable is that I kind of mentioned that it was everyone and anyone who's in all protein. But there was absolutely nobody who is kind of interested, uh, at least not as far as I saw. So in prior years, you would see just a lot of tourist investors or or strategics or whoever that was kind of interested in dabbling in the space. Uh, That was gone. And uh, that's not great. You want more interest, but it's good to see that there's still a community that's really, really focused on the space.
0: Oh, interesting. So basically the generalists and the tourists have left the building and it's really just yeah. like the diehard committed in folks.
1: Yeah. Which is, it's good that it's still, that the diehards are still there. Um, and I'm sure I didn't talk to all, I don't know, there's like a thousand plus people. I didn't talk to every single one of them, even though it felt like I did. Uh, I'm sure there were some people that were generalists or, or whatever, but, uh, it 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 really felt more like what you said, like the alt protein prom versus uh, versus having a lot of outsiders there. So that that was that was very obvious to me.
0: So two follow ups for you. And by the way, everyone, Steve has a great post on LinkedIn where he shared his takeaways. But I have two follow ups really quickly. One is, was there more of a focus on consumers and kind of what they want and what they're looking for, and why there is a mismatch? Between what's on the shelf and consumer, you know, behavior, and two, was there a focus on, you know, making that food and climate connection more clear?
1: That those are good questions. On the, on the first one, I would say there wasn't enough of a focus on consumers, the way that I would have wanted. There, I think what was good is they there was a very obvious call out that we need to understand consumers better what they want and consumer even just bucketing consumers into this one big bucket doesn't make any sense so um like that was obvious and everyone was very clear on we need to do better at understanding which products are good for which people or which approaches are good for for which consumers right like it doesn't always have to be a a branded product Um, but i was i was a little let down with the lack of data around that um, I couldn't attend every single talk on every single uh, or every single panel, so maybe there was more that I missed. But um, there was there was one panel on blended products, so traditional meat blended with some type of uh, either plants or an alternative protein. And there was a guy there who I forget his name right now, but from ADM, who actually did give give some good consumer insights on the different types of flexitarians and what those different types actually want to see with. A blended product, but that's a very specific topic. Uh, so I appreciated that, but I, I would have liked to see more of that. But either way, people are looking into it. Um, and then, and then to your to your second question on connection between uh, food and the environment, I didn't really see it talked about that much. But I don't know that it was the right audience for it, meaning that I think every most people in the room at the GFI conference. Were kind of already bought in on it, right? They maybe they weren't they didn't know know every stat about food and environment, but it, it kind of would have been preaching to the choir a little bit in my mind. Um, but I don't, I don't, I I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'd disagree.
0: I guess that's interesting because I I sort of associate GFI with also quite an animal ethical ethical vegan animal welfare type of angle, um, but it's good to know that you felt like everyone is kind of up to date on the climate thing. So maybe the, the follow-up is, should there be more talk about how do we make it so that 93% of all reporting about climate isn't not mentioning, isn't omitting livestock agriculture?
1: That, I mean, that would be something really interesting to dive into. And I think maybe they could have done a, a done more work on that. I I didn't see that many journalists there there were definitely some like there were definitely some and maybe maybe those those, those journalists would are going to be writing up pieces on this but um i i think that making sure that it's not a lopsided uh journalism space on climate that kind of excludes food that would be that that is really really worthwhile, and and it's a good point about GFI being mission driven. But I I do really think that a lot of people in this like there are, and there were mission driven investors and companies there, but um, a lot of people there really are in this space for environmental. I I, th- I I think more are there for the environmental side than the animal welfare side. But I like the journalism point for sure.
0: Yeah, we really need to do more, and obviously that's something I I, I hold very dear. To my heart and I work on all the time and we've got some projects going on for that. But it's just, we're so far from understanding from a mainstream person really like having that at the tip of their four fingertips in terms of knowing food is one of the major, food production is you know one third of greenhouse gas emissions and we can't solve the, crisis, the climate crisis without addressing how we produce food. And that's just still not top of mind for most reporters, for most policy makers for most people even in climate tech
1: yeah i mean we talked about it i don't remember what pop, it was like a couple of weeks ago right like the a lot of like the leading reporting agencies out there like it was like the new york times and things like that like what they were they, they were talking about esg and all that but then they're, they're they're even food recipe sections were still pushing meat products so it's like the, there's there's a disconnect between what's being reported on and talked about uh and then what is actually important to the environment.
0: Absolutely. Well, great takeaways. And it sounds like, you know, everybody's got to get their dance card ready for the prom for next year, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm definitely going to try and make it next year. It was too close to another uh, San Francisco conference, which is why I couldn't do two San Francisco trips in a month that felt a little bit egregious for being based in Asia, but there you go. we we haven't even talked about climate week so we'll have to keep that for next year so next week Mm. um but let's dive into the big story um it's we've got a really exciting big story this week so german precision fermentation company formo gave us an exclusive um so they've just released new research around precision fermentation and uh they they interviewed folks in in germany the us and singapore and, and got some views but at the same time They've also announced that they are going to be launching, um, what they term lab brewed eggs in food service in Germany later this year. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a surprise announcement. Um, obviously Formo has been working on alternative precision fermentation made cheese. So this is kind of a new product. Um, there are very few precision fermentation egg alternatives on the, either on the market or, or just in general and companies working on it right we've got like the every company in the us we've got um onego bio in europe um i think is there even another one so so yeah so it's a it's a big story um and uh i've definitely um fielded a lot of questions about the story already today um it's yeah it's, i think it's it's really exciting um what's especially interesting to most people is the novel food regulation kind of topic here because Europe has a very strict um, novel food regulation and usually um, precision fermentation made products are tend to be to fall under novel food regulation regulatory kind of policy and it's quite an onerous um, procedure to apply for regulation um, approval the regulatory approval and it can take you know up to a couple of years. So, so, so far no precision fermentation dairy company, for example, in Europe has achieved, has gotten approval. Um, This is because Europe takes a much more uh, strict stance around genetically modified foods and precision fermentation involves that. So whereas in the U.S. you can just get the FDA, uh, you can just apply for a no questions asked letter. It's very different in Europe. And so the whole discussion here is around whether Formos product falls under novel um, EU regula- regulatory laws, and according to them, um, this product does not, because they are using existing. Um, they are using molds that already have that have already been reviewed by EU regulatory processes, and that are have been used for many years. So this is not a new. basically the components of their product is not being classified as novel food this is what they they are saying
1: Hmm. (laughs) this is interesting i I, the reason i'm hesitating to say a lot is because I'm, i'm i'm like trying to think through like what 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 I think ForMO should be doing. The gist is, I'm very, you know i'm 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 pretty well versed in this space, right? The difference between biomass fermentation, precision fermentation, all this. And I'm still sitting here with a lot of questions. and if if I'm sitting here with a lot of questions, that means a lot of people are sitting here with a lot, a lot of questions. and then it just goes back to like, why is this not more transparent and understood, especially if Formo is saying, that this is not novel foods, which means it's in the food system, right? So, tell us what it is. Tell us what what's what. It, like, be transparent, right? So that's that's where my head is going. Um, I understand,
0: but um, the article is very detailed. We spent a lot of time with them back and forth. Um, we asked them pretty much every question that 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 you have and that most people have. So, a, a couple things to keep in mind. So, first of all, it's an egg alternative. Um, and they are not, they are very clear that they are not replicating a molecularly identical version of egg proteins like oval, ovalbumin or ovotransferinin. They are mm-hmm. creating us an, another product, a protein that offers the same functional properties as a chicken egg. So according to them, and this is the direct quote is the structure of their pro- protein, um, Means that their products taste and behave identically to eggs. So that's number one. It is not a bioidentical version of ovalbumin, which I think something like the Every Company is working on. Secondly, they confirmed that they are using precision fermentation to create their protein. And thirdly, the, the mold that they're using is essentially. What is commonly called Koji mold, um, which is uh, you know, a, a very, it, I mean, it's it, in Japan, for example, Koji mold is used for everything from miso to Marin, just show you. So I, it, I mean, in the article we say it even has a national fungus designation as, you know, informally in in the in in the media. So according to ForMO, the protein components are considered non-novel. And they have been in contact with a number of food safety authorities who have confirmed, confirmed that the components are non novel. So this is I this mean,
1: that's where we're at. Yeah, I mean that that's I I so I'm gonna put the regulatory stuff to the side for now because I'm just gonna take their word for it, right? Koji, to your point, is non-novel. And in the in the US it's it's grass certified. So that's that's true. Using it to create a, another protein, I, I'm not sure if that's novel or not. They're saying it's not, so I'll take their word for it, uh, and let's hope that that's the case. So aside from the regulatory stuff, I really, I think that this is very exciting. I know I was, like, super hesitant to say a lot because I was just like, this is kind of confusing, and I don't love the what feels like a lack of transparency. But I, I, I really love the... Idea of not doing something that has to be bio identical to something in an egg because you're never going to have the full egg component. So, if this protein is, is just as functional or maybe more functional and you can use it in a B2B manner, so that means kind of behind the scenes with, with food service companies, uh, and the, the consumer doesn't have to purchase it off the shelf, I think that that's a much better way to go to market. Um, so, I mean, it's and, and to your point, what you mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of people doing stuff in eggs. Um, and on the plant-based side, on the fermentation side, there's just not a lot being done, and it's such a big industry. It could be so impactful. Um, so I, I think it's it's really, really interesting and exciting. I think they do need to change the the, the nomenclature of lab-brewed eggs. That's just why would you do that to yourself?
0: <laughs> That's interesting. Um, certainly, because you know, even in the research, obviously the term lab is is not favored, but their, their research is interesting and shows that there is an appetite for egg alternatives. And, you know, I think what's interesting about eggs is that the welfare, the welfare question about eggs is very top of mind for consumers. So a consumer has been educated in the supermarket about, you know, cage-free eggs and free range eggs and organic eggs. So there is that sense of like a predisposition to knowing that, Eggs tend to not be the best from a welfare welfare point of view, so that's quite interesting because it makes sense then that consumers would be open to alternatives.
1: Yeah, I think I I mean I think they will be. They should be, right? Um,
0: yeah, that's what I, data like foremost data is showing in their in their latest uh, study.
1: I yeah, I mean that makes sense to me. I think, but uh, uh, <laughs> Not to hit on it too hard, but I I do think lab lab brood will be a a a hard thing for consumers to overcome.
0: Yes. I mean there's yeah, there's initial research and then there's marketing. So it'll be interesting. But of course, they're also going to market via B2B, so maybe less of a concern. And exactly. That's why
1: I love yeah.
0: So just as a an aside, I actually tried this egg or the earlier version of this egg in April at a private tasting event that they help You're such an insider. You're like oh you're so God. such an insider. No, was I at the All Protein Prom? I don't think so. So, obviously I'm I'm a I'm I'm a hell of an outsider. But for once, I got to do a tasting for something early and I have to say the egg was outstanding. And this was actually an earlier version. They've improved it since then. Um and it was a scramble. I have a video. It's it's it was really good. So, um, I did taste it. And I I think it's great. And I think it was very, it felt very egg like. And I think it was very good in terms of I could see the format being quite flexible for different use cases. And I tried it in a custard. I tried it in a scrambled egg. I tried it omelet- as a, like a little omelet. It And it was, re- yeah, I really liked it.
1: Especially in the custard. No, I mean, bar. that's so exciting.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Formo, you know, go team. Like, I hope, I hope they're able to get this to market. And, and it's a, yeah, I think that it could be a really big moment um, for the industry and just advancing, you know, progress here.
1: No, I, I fully, I fully agree. And I mean, and even one other thing, just to mention before we move on to another item is like, this whole approach of creating an alternative egg in a B2B format, like this is a very attractive thing to the large food companies that use eggs as an ingredient in their products, mainly because of what we saw over the past year or so, like egg prices are incredibly volatile, right? So like they can rise and fall fall very sharply with with the rise and fall of hen populations and egg production. Um, and and the prices get passed on very very quickly to consumers and to customers so, so the big b2b customers so if formo if every company if, if anyone else working on eggs can offer them a stable uh, a less volatile supply chain of of an ingredient that acts like eggs um, and replaces eggs that's incredibly attractive to those companies um, so i i mean I'm, I'm i'm excited to see this and, and hopeful that the they Absolutely, keep progressing the way that they and, say,
0: and we're likely to see more avian flu outbreaks, uh, outbreaks which will affect egg prices. And we're also, I think, sometimes people don't realize how much egg is used in things like baked goods and, and other food products. So there, are applications that you know are 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 you know orders of magnitude large, and we need solutions for it. So it's not just about that fried egg on your on your morning toast. You know, it's, it's it goes beyond yeah. that. Yeah.
1: I I I real I learned I learned like a year or so ago that a- egg is used in ice cream sometimes yeah. as like a binder thick a
0: thickening agent like totally unnecessary but in it, classic everywhere. Everywhere. ice cream yeah European ice creams have it a lot yes um yeah so I think go team let's let's watch this space um yeah. tell me what else stood out to you this week.
1: Well, of course, being the stereotypical investor that I am, the thing that stood out was that you saw that the, the median food tech VC deal size has declined for the first time in seven years. So um, median deal sizes for food tech have, have fallen to $3 million uh, as of Q2 of this year, which is an over 12% drop from the prior year. Um, and it's interesting because like at the high level, it seems like this is a bad thing. Um, but when you look at the data, it seems like the number of deals that are getting done, while they have dropped a little bit, they're they're it's pretty steady. And actually, even compared to like 2020 and 2019, the number of deals being done are actually the same or even higher than like 2018, 2019. So deals are getting done in the space. It just the companies are starts are raising less money because money's harder to come by. I think that's really, really good and really important for the space, though. So like what we saw over the the 2021 time period of the super hyped up cycle where companies could raise egregious amounts of money is just a massive inefficient use of capital so a lot of companies would raise a lot and then really not make as much progress as they probably should with that amount of capital because they thought the next round of money was just going to be there and it, it creates an environment of waste and and not of efficiency not of urgency Um, And seeing deal sizes drop now, all that that means is these companies are going to be very uh, careful with the dollars that they spend and make sure that they only spend stuff on stuff that's either going to immediately impact either their top line revenue growth, or if they're still pre revenue, something that's going to impact their ability to get to commercialization. And that's really important. So yes, it's tougher out there, but I'm happy to see that a lot of deals are still getting done and they're just being done at smaller sizes. So that's, that, that was my takeaway for that.
0: That is a great insight from an investor. Um, we also had a piece this week about a report by Ernst & Young done with Protein Industries Canada. And I urge everyone to read it because a lot of the coverage elsewhere was excessively kind of positive about the the growth predictions. But I think we 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 spent a lot of time kind of going through and being a little bit more tapered with our with our reporting on that because obviously protein industries Canada is a um, pro all protein uh, government in uh, body so I think you know there's definitely uh, there's definitely a, a let's say an an agenda and it was a very optimistic figure around around um around the size of the industry, much more optimistic than any of the others. And I also recommend people review, GFI had a great graph that we included in the piece um, that they published a few months ago of all the different predictions of the all protein market size or plant-based. Actually, the this particular report is about plant-based, but just in general, like all kinds of numbers. And so I think, it's really great to see these reports, but I think it's really important, especially after the last three years where we've gone through this like big hike cycle and we're just, we're we're kind of more in re- reality mode now. I think it's even more important, especially for reporters and also just for pundits sharing stuff online to, to be, be really clear about, you know, the information that they're sharing and how accurate it is and putting it into context. So that would just be my um, my add-on to what you just said about the pitch book data
1: no I, I love that I love that. that and that is important also to call out that like depending on the news source itself like there may be biases and and all of that but um the the focusing on a more realistic environment is it seems to be uh everywhere which is which is really good um but but for you what's that out in the the newsletter
0: this week? um this is as we say in French, this is like my coup de coeur, which is like my crush for, for in the in the alternative food, future food space. I'm just a huge fan of upcycling startups and startups that are valorizing waste side streams. Food waste is, you know, probably the second biggest issue in food after livestock agriculture. We one-third of all food produced is, is wasted globally. In Asia, it's over 50%. Um, and so very excited to see the news about the Austrian startup, Current Tech, which I've been following, a company I've been following for two years, just personally, as well as, as, as a reporter, they landed a 12 million Euro series a for their stone fruit kernel milk. So they up, they, they upcycle stone fruit pits and they turn them into different plant-based dairy alternatives. And they've also um, created oils um, like kernel creams, and then they do yogurts. Um, It's, I think it's fantastic. One, it's a, it's a decent round. In a moment where I'm seeing very few rounds go through. And two, I think food waste is just a huge, huge area of opportunity. There is I I there's so much regulation coming around this. There's so much attention from governments and policy. And, you know, unlike alternative protein, where you're you're really having to deal with that cultural shift of getting people to change what they eat, food waste is something that pretty much everyone can get behind. And it seems like the world has kind of woken up to what a gigantic problem this is and that we need to fix it. And also just that food waste is is linked to huge amounts of emissions because foods that are sent to landfill and that degrade release methane and all kinds of other terrible gases. Um, So it's just, it's a huge problem for climate. It's a huge problem for food and big companies are more and more being put under the spotlight and being told you actually have to account for your food waste and so the idea that you can you know <clears throat> valorize your food waste stream and sell it or to a company like KernTech, is is very interesting so yes this is more of like a a crush i upcycling food startups are what are like my favorites right now
1: no i think the crush is warranted to be honest <laughs> I, I i we we were we were talking about this before but like I I agree on on the excitement around the opportunity in side stream valorization or food food waste use um, or up, upcycling and um, I'm looking at a couple of opportunities myself right now and and from and like yes from like a waste standpoint and even a, a greenhouse gas emission standpoint to your to your points so that there's huge impact that could be made but from the business side it also makes a lot of sense because it's I, I, I'm realizing it, it's different depending on the industry and the waste that's being used. Um, but for a lot of these industries, it really, there's, there's similar types of things where just to, for a startup that uses the waste of some kind, a lot of the times they get the the input. So the waste, whether it's food, or, or in this case for current tech, it's um, fruit pits. Um, like they sometimes will get that input for free because it's waste or sometimes even get paid to take it because those companies that produce the waste have to pay a waste management company to haul away the waste to begin with. So if you could say, hey, you could pay us less to take your, your waste, then that's a, a win for everyone. And so there's there's potential revenues there or super low cost inputs. And then if you can produce whatever the output is with that waste in an economical way and produce something that's desired then it's the economics of the whole business model are really, really attractive. And then from the marketing standpoint, like what a home run, right? You get to say, we produce something you want and it's super green or however you want to market it. Um, You can create so many different marketing strategies around it, but it's really just an attractive uh, value proposition for the supply chain and for consumers.
0: I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I've got only positive things to say. So go team, go Current Tech. Really awesome round and really good news. Um, I
1: agree, and and then just to how do to we round it, what's, it what's off? What's our
0: positive? Well, that was very positive, but how do we round it off? It's been a very positive week. <laughs>
1: I like positive week. Positive weeks are good. Formos making eggs. KernTech is is upcycling food waste, and uh, this is this is good. Deals are
0: happening um, so, and they're smaller and less hyped. We like it. Yes. Yeah.
1: This is good. This is a good <laughs> Um I, I so I think the the one I was thinking, just to end on a positive, even though it's all been positive, is um you and your team, you you combine insights from industry insiders and other research uh, sources that you have, with one of the primary ones being rethink priorities. And it, it, you you focused on a study that looks at how different combinations of menu options can influence people's choices of meat-free dishes. So uh, meat-free can mean an all-protein product, it could also just be traditional plants. Um, but it, it, it's the reason I'm bringing up this up as the positive is because if you look through this, this write-up that you guys did, which is, which is awesome. It's nothing like crazy hard to do. For a food service operator, so it's it's saying things like provide at least three or more meat-free dishes uh, on the entire menu. Don't worry too much about using plant-based meats. Like you could have just traditional veggies in there. Don't don't say the word tofu, right? Like like you could have yeah, tofu, that was, that was a funny so, one.
0: Don't say the word tofu. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And I guess the point is, it's like this is actionable today, and it's driven by data on consumer insights and behavior change so it's not just saying like we think that this will work so it it's it, it seems like a great way to nudge people in in the right direction and i think the only thing that really is important here the like the one last thing that's important to to make happen is to show the food service operators why this is beneficial to them because i think somewhere somewhere in your piece it mentions how operators can be a little nervous to to change something so because if something's working why change it um, so you have to prove to them why changing it will make it work even more, why this will be good for their business. But I, I love this. I love this.
0: Yeah. And I recommend that I'm so glad you picked this. Cause like, if anyone's listening, I did not say anything to Steve about this. Of course, we all know the behavioral nudge stuff is my favorite. Um, this was a, a, a real, like this article, I, I worked on it personally with a reporter, but I spent a lot of time on it. There's a great interview that we refer to with a lady called Britty Man, who um, is out of Austin. She has a an NGO called Planted Society, and she basically helps restaurants, you know, add, st- add plant-based to their menu and bring in more plant-based. And a lot of her initiatives have shown that, yes, one, there's a lot of nervousness at first, but two, usually the changes end up bringing in more business and increasing sales because, again, it's about giving people options. And I think we had talked about the vegan veto before where if you have a group of people and you have nothing for a vegan, you, you might be losing a group. Whereas if you just have a couple things, you know, um, you're suddenly you're an option for, for groups. And I, and I actually think that's what we need more of is, is is just options. And as you said, these are super easy to implement. I'm going to see if we can convert this to an infographic for people. Um, but they're just the other thing is like describing flavors and Focusing on taste and flavors in your description and not on words like vegan or vegetarian. It, this is easy stuff. So you don't even have to alienate anyone with kind of terms that might be, you know, controversial. It's just about having options that are meat free.
1: Yeah, which is pretty simple. I love it. I think that. Uh... I I'd love to see this be implemented more, and I think it's really it, it, it's it's about just making sure that the the restaurateurs, the food service operators, understand the upside and how this is good for them. So, and I, I don't think that's going to be that difficult to do. I think the data is emerging, um, and I even I'm I'm talking to a company right now that's working with some of our portfolio companies, um, and they they gather food service information or food service data on the impact of plant-based on their menus and it's in real time. And it's still emerging and they're still figuring out um, which data points are the most impactful, but um, it's it, it, it's coming out and it's, it's happening. So I, I think this is great. I think it's awesome.
0: Okay, so homework for everybody who's listening. If you know a restaurant owner or a restaurant manager, forward them the article. Just a little like pay it forward, do something that can help them. They might be interested. They might not but at least we're getting the message out there
1: i like that i like let's give our listeners homework that's a I good know. idea should we,
0: do that? should we do like a pay it forward homework where you do something positive i mean obviously is this your, is this your way plug. to get like free free advertising for for green queen i mean shameless plug please forward all articles to everyone all the time <laughs> our new reporter is just incredible and um doing such great work. But, but no, seriously, I, I think a lot of times I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by like, if you just give people some information, how much it can just really impact their behavior and their action. And people are busy. People are, you know, distracted with their day-to-day and their job. And sometimes like, it's nice to, to just read something and go, oh, I could do that.
1: I agree. Let's all do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that later today. There's a restaurant that I'm gonna go to.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much again, Steve. Um, what would I do without our Wednesday or Thursday chats? Um, so great. I
1: don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See you next week for another edition. Okay, wait a minute. Is this the week you finally go to Shake Shack? I will not rest until you give me that. That, that so.
1: Video. So this is, so you're going to be bummed out. I forgot about this. I forgot to update you on this. I was supposed to go last Friday and I couldn't go. I couldn't go. But I believe that the people I was supposed to have lunch with did go. I hope they did. I'm going to get some feedback uh, because I I owe this to you. I owe this to you 100%. Oh my goodness.
0: I can't take it anymore. All right. By the time. I know. And I'm going to be in New York with you. All right. I know. (laughs) And I wanted remember, I also (laughs) wanted you to know to check if it was made with the special cultured oil. That yeah. just launched a yeah, well,
1: zero
0: acre. Zero. Barn. Yeah, zero. Which I've had their oil before and it's awesome. It's really, really good.
1: But yeah. I, I do need to check. Yeah.
0: I have some in my pantry. It's very cool. It's very, oh, very cool. Oh, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've just got these these shameful plugs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we will we will catch up again next week and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Can't wait. All the best. All right. See everybody next week.